0: Welcome, guys, and gals, to the Man Talk Show. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings together some of the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to help teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. And today we're going to be talking about love and sex, predominantly sex. This is like a whole, this is sex talks. Imagine that we are. We're just scratching out the man in man talks, and we are replacing it with the word sex. Uh, so, joining me today is Doctor Stephen Dewitt, who has been called the Tony Robbins of sex. and uh, And once once you hear once you hear him talk today, I think you'll you'll understand why, because uh, he really understands sex and, and really gets it. And, and we're going to dive into quite a few different topics here. He's been featured on CTV Morning Live, Showtime, Men's Health, eTalk, Um, So many different platforms. He's got an incredible journey, incredible story. Uh, He does a lot of public speaking, coaching, has written uh, a a book uh, about this topic. Um, that uh, we actually don't talk about the book at all uh, on this episode, but if if you want to check it out, it is on his website. Uh, it is called the Sexual Freedom System. It's a, a pretty pretty incredible guide. Uh, but on this episode, we're going to talk about a lot. We talk about everything that gets in the way of a truly great sex life. So we talk about a little bit ar- around shame, um, past wounding, trauma. We talk a little bit about. Um, You know, what happens if if our partners have been abused in the past, which is a question that I've um, fielded with with numerous clients so how does one actually support and and work with and and help their partner um, if they have experienced sexual abuse in the past and and actually help heal them in their in in your relationship uh, we talk about what to do when when sex becomes dysfunctional uh, we talk about some of the challenges that that men and women both face uh, when it comes to sex and and their relationships some of the stigmas around men and sex some of the stigmas around women and, and sex and and then we cap off the last 10-15 minutes is really just like solid, solid tools. So a whole bunch of tools on here's specifically what you can do with your partner to have a better sex life. Here's how to have the conversations. Here's how to set up the frameworks. Um, And Dr. Stephen DeWitt even uh, offers some insight into basically how important after sex is and how to create a little bit of a a routine in a conversation after sex. So this is episode is chock full of knowledge, of wisdom, of insight. So grab a pen and paper, uh, maybe listen to it once through with yourself and then listen to it with your partner if you are brave enough, which I challenge you to do. I challenge you to listen to this episode with your partner uh, so that you can have some real conversations, whether you have the most incredible sex life, whether you are so satisfied and so happy and you'd give it like a, a 9.5 out of 10, uh, or whether your sex life is struggling with your partner and you know, you're, you're at a, a one or a two or a four or a five, wherever you are, I would encourage you to invite them along on this journey. Uh, So just a quick reminder before I bring Dr. Stephen DeWitt on to all the guys that are out there, head on over to Facebook and join us in the Man Talks community. We've got some really great conversations and dialogues that are going on in there about fatherhood, fitness, finances, you name it. Uh, I lead that community personally myself and just post some daily content in there to help support you on your journey. But you get to learn and connect with a lot of the men that are in there as well. And if you want to go even deeper and you want to be able to work with me, well, there are two ways that you can do that. One, you can sign up at Connor. Beaten.com and come work with me one-on-one personally. I help a lot of men and a lot of women find their purpose in life, be able to tap into having a better, deeper, more well-connected relationship with their partner. Or you can check out the Man Talks Alliance. So that one is men only, but it's an incredible group of men from around the world uh, that I personally lead. And I've brought an amazing men's coach by the name of Mr. Traver Boehm, who I've had on this uh, on this show before. And uh, we have weekly calls with guys from around the globe. Around becoming better men, better fathers, better husbands, and better leaders in their lives. So, if any of that appeals to you, definitely check it out. There are some links in the show notes. Um, but without any further delay, please, please welcome Dr. Stephen Dewitt.
1: Thanks, Connor. Great to be here.
0: Yeah, man. Uh, you know, I think you got recommended to to me uh, through through the event out in Toronto. It sounds like it went really mm-hmm. well, and. A couple, mm-hmm. uh, couple of my friends were there and like, oh, you got to have this guy on the podcast uh, <laughs> to, to talk about sex and to talk about yeah. you know, just a whole, you know, everything sex related. So this is going to be a big, this is going to be sex talks, not man talks. It's going to be sex talks. All right. But great, man. So before we dive into the sex talks, mm-hmm. um, I have mm-hmm. to start off with, with uh, tell us a story about a defining moment in your life that made you who you are today.
1: Well, I, I get this question a lot because people are like sexologists. What, what the heck is that? And I always joke. I say, listen, uh, my, my mom still asks me the question. My dad doesn't want to know the answer. And, uh, you know, how did I get to, to be doing what I do? So there's three things that really shaped and, and carved out who I am today. Uh, the first one was I grew up Catholic. So uh, I was in North Vancouver, B.C. and would go to church. And so sex was bad sex was wrong and not even having sex, but thinking about sex was even bad. So I'd be like, go to church and be like, okay, I'm not going to do this. This is bad. This is wrong. You know, I don't want to go to hell, all that other kind of stuff. And then I would walk outside of church and there'd be magazines, billboards, movies, music, talking about sex, 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 sex all the time. And so for me, it was this real conundrum of like, well, how come it's bad and wrong, but it's all over the place? And I, and so from a very young age, I was grappling with like, wow, this is something that's really powerful. And it's something that, you know, people want to control or have a, um, a managing hand in, and it doesn't make a lot of sense for me. So that was one of the earliest things. The, the second thing that kind of crafted who I am today and what I do when I was in ninth grade. So I would have been about 14, 13, 14 years old. I found out that a a girl that I had grown up with. And she was like one of the neighborhood kids. And we'd, we'd go out and, you know, we'd play in the neighborhood and, and hang out. At that time, we didn't have iPads. So we were outside a lot of the time. I found out that she had been sexually abused for seven years. So from the age of about nine till, well, maybe a little bit less. So nine till, or excuse me, seven till like four, 13, 14. And I remember it hitting me like a ton of bricks. And I was at school and I found out, I don't even know who told me at that time. And I started, started bawling and I came home, I left school. I came home and I remember talking to my mom and my mom had, had talked to this, this girl's mom and found out the details and, and I was just heartbroken. And um, the girl ended up coming over to my house and we, we, we talked and I said, well, why didn't you tell me? Like, I wanted to do something. And if I knew I would have done something. Now, the reality is, is she was older than I was. And so, you know, a seven-year-old telling a six-year-old, you know, something of this magnitude where she was being sexually abused, I didn't, there was not a lot that I could do at that time. But it was at that point in my life. And I said, you know, this is not, this shouldn't happen on my watch. And if there's something that I can do, I want to do it. And so that was a pivotal point in my life. Another thing that I had uh, the experience of is um, growing up in Vancouver, I, was, I, I worked in nightclubs a lot. I loved dancing. And uh, so I worked at Ladies' Night at a place called the Wild Coyote. It was by the airport. And I was a topless male waiter. And my, my parents were very, very proud of me. You can imagine, Connor, right? Yeah, I didn't um, know so that was a my, thing.
0: <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing.
1: It's amazing. It's kind of like the magic mic thing, but uh, I didn't take off. I just took off my shirt and and served drinks to the women. But I got this fascinating insight into female sexuality because what they would do is from eight o'clock until 10 o'clock at night, it would be women only. They would have male strippers come in and then myself and three other guys would be these topless male waiters and we'd serve drinks. And so I saw raw, untethered female sexual expression. Like two, 300 women, like being like, I want a piece of this guy who's the stripper. And I was like, wow, this is fascinating. Like I grew up in a upper middle class society where female sexuality was something to be uh, not expressed. It was something to be suppressed. It wasn't something that was to be talked about. And I was like, there are two, 300 women here losing their minds and having a blast doing it. And so that was something in my head that like not a lot of men got to see this. And so that was another thing of like, wow, there's something really powerful here that isn't expressed in the regular world. And this is something that's fascinating. And and when is that going to start shifting? And, you know, in, in my experience over the last 10 years, that really has started shifting where women are stepping up, speaking out, owning who they are sexually, setting boundaries. And it's just a fascinating thing to watch. So early on in my life, those were the three things that really defined you know, who I was, and what I wanted to focus on and what I was committed to in my life.
0: Yeah, awesome, man. I mean, it's interesting, right? Because they're men and women both have their own type of, of sexual shame, which I'm sure that mm-hmm. we'll dive into here. But but Mm -hmm. really societally women have quite a lot of of sexual shame and and it shows up Mm -hmm. in in the narratives and the conversations that that we put towards them. And it's all, it's almost kind of ironic as well, because much of culture, much of society is actually set up in such a way as to uh, sort of portray women as these, you know, beauty objects, right? So we beautify Mm -hmm. them and there's a lot of justification, but then there's sort of like this, this air of well, you can look, but you can 't you can 't touch right and and and, mm-hmm. and furthermore than that that they aren 't sexual creatures right, mm-hmm. which I would imagine as a as a young man <clears throat> seeing just like you know feminine sexuality like oozing out everywhere all the time you 're like, oh shit, like <laughs> they you know they they're they 're not maybe not much different from from guys you know in yes, men, they have yeah. guys, they have sexual wants. Um, How did that experience sort of rewire your, your perspective
1: of female sexuality? Well, I mean, on a real personal level, you know, at that time, you know, I was in my early 20s and I was like, wow, this is fascinating. And previous to that point, I had looked at relationships and sex as Uh, you know, I was on the offense and you know, the, the, the woman was on the defense of like, Oh, not now or not yet or whatever. And I'd be like, Hey, I want to have sex. And as a man, it's okay for me to have sex. And once I got that and I was like, wow, it's, it doesn't actually have to be that way. It can be something that we can talk about and it can be co-creative because guess what? She is just as interested as I'm interested. Let's actually have a conversation and create something that works for both of us it completely shifted how I connected, how I communicated, and how I had relationships and how I had sex with women. And it was just this complete paradigm shift that provided me with such healthy, vibrant, free relationship. It was it was mind-boggling. And my friends were like, Stephen, like, what are you doing? Like, how are you doing this? Like, do you like did you read the game? And are you like, what's your pickup line and all this other kind of stuff? And I'm like, guys, no. It's not like that at all. Like I'm just being real. And if it works for her and she's interested in what I'm interested in, that's great. But I'm not gonna play any games. And guess what? If I'm real and it doesn't work for her, cool. She's still a great person. I'm a great person. She's just not looking for what I'm looking for right now. And that's okay. And it just completely shifted, you know, the the map that I was trying to figure out and navigate and relationships and sex. It was like, oh. I could just say what I'm interested, in, communicate, respect that person for who they are and what works for them and it just started shifting for me it was amazing.
0: Yeah, I can imagine that, you know, especially within the context of of relationships it can be quite transformative, right? When when we as men start to shift our own lens, our own perspective and stories and narratives around women's sexuality and and we mm-hmm. you know, we sort of um Challenge this concept that that women, like you said, women are on the defense, and that they are trying mm-hmm. to prevent sex, and that they're trying to stop sex, and that they don't want sex. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, all all of these other stories that that oftentimes we enter into relationships with, um, or mm-hmm. you know, something's happened at the beginning of a relationship, and, and and men adopt this mentality. It can be very transformative to to challenge our own narratives and really come to yeah. a partner and say something along the lines of like, look. Um, you know, I feel like my story has actually infringed on you in some mm-hmm. capacity, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned a, a few other things, the, the two other things that stood out to me that I think are really important in the context of of us as men, maybe uh, understanding women's sexuality or female sexuality is, is, is a... That quite a few of them um, have been abused in some capacity, or you know, have experienced sexual harassment or sexual violence mm-hmm. or trauma. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and and secondly, that you know, many of them have been shamed in some way, oftentimes by religion or their parents in the past. And that mm-hmm. that story is very deeply rooted for them. So mm-hmm. I think where I want to start first is is. How do we, because I've actually had a lot of men reach out and and I've worked with a few men on this subject, but I've actually never talked about it on the podcast. How do we Mm -hmm. as men support partners who have been, um, you know, abused or or traumatized or sexually harassed or, you know, had a partner in the past and maybe overstepped boundaries with them? Because I get Mm -hmm. a lot of guys saying, hey, I'm with a woman who, you know, has been sexually assaulted in the past and Mm -hmm. I can tell that it's impacting her, but I'm not Mm -hmm. really too sure how to support her. So, From your experience, Mm -hmm. where should guys start? Where do do men start in Mm -hmm. that that respect?
1: Mm -hmm. So I I always start inside of like honest, real, raw communication. So I would approach things from two spaces. One is checking in with her to see if she needs professional support, if she got professional support, if if that's an avenue that would actually serve her right now. Because again, because there's this kind of double-edged sword with, you know there's shame associated with sex and then coming forward and coming forward as a victim of sexual harassment or abuse or rape is an extremely challenging thing for anyone especially women because again there's this there's this double standard so that would be the first conversation of let's let's get you some professional help if that's something that is going to serve you and the second part is then having a the conversation about how you as a man and how her as a woman are going to Kind of sort out, work through, and navigate that sexual space. So she feels safe and comfortable, and the man feels safe and comfortable. So, talking about, okay, so what are boundaries? What are triggers? What are safe words that we can use, right? So, there's something for a hard stop and something to slow down, being able to uh, check in about their well being. So sometimes we have this thing like sex can look a particular way and it's like, you know, it's kind of like a sex dance that we do. It's like, oh, it's time to have sex. I start with massage and then it goes to, you know, point A, B, C, one, two, three after that. But check in with your partner about like how they're doing or what they need or what can sex actually provide to them. So they may be feeling vulnerable or depressed or upset or sad. Well, sex can be a wonderful thing uh, to bring into that, to bring you closer, to have that intimacy. But changing what it actually looks like or the energy that's brought to it can really start shifting. So it, it becomes a, a safe thing and a safe place for you and your partner, but also something that can bring you closer together. So again, I talk to people about safe words, talking about well being. The other one that's really big is aftercare. So after we explore something sexually or we connect sexually, what do you need to feel safe and comfortable? And for the man, you could share that as well. It could be cuddling, it could be having a shower together, it could be going for food, it could be going to sleep. But that aftercare, which puts a nice kind of bow on that sexual experience, can make all the difference. So she feels safe, secure, loved, appreciated, respected. Aftercare is a huge thing. So, and then there's talking about triggers. What are the things that are going to trigger? If I call you baby if I call you slut if I spank your butt like what are those things that are going to trigger you and it's just anything that's going to take your partner out of a sexual headspace and then the last one to talk about is boundaries but the boundaries and there's hard boundaries and soft boundaries so soft boundaries are things that are flexible that maybe sometimes maybe for special occasions vacations birthdays but only after a conversation is had and then hard boundaries is no, I'm not comfortable with that right now. It's way outside of my comfort zone. So have those boundaries and then those safe words that are um, correlated with those boundaries as well.
0: Yeah, awesome. Awesome. I, I mean, there's, there's a lot in there to unpack, you know, because I think that oftentimes what I've noticed from men is that, you know, we, we love good challenges, right? And, and sometimes when, our, you know, when, when women set those boundaries with men, Around, mm-hmm. hey, here's my, here's my hard boundaries and here's, here are my soft boundaries. Mm-hmm. What I've noticed in in some of the clients that I've worked with is that they'll, they'll fix it on the hard boundary. Like, why can't I do that, right? They'll, they'll want mm-hmm. to permeate the hard boundary rather than mm-hmm. at exploring in the, in the soft boundaries. So in that case, what's usually happening for the man? Because in that, in that scenario, usually the guy is taking something personally, right? It's like, mm-hmm. this means that I'm, I'm not good enough, or you won't open up to me in this way, or you know mm-hmm. I need this in order to prove something to myself. Like, what's normally going on for, for the guy in that situation?
1: Um, so in my experience, it's ego that kicks in. Right. And there is also a level of selfishness. It's like this or, or like this is about me or it's a conquest that I have to have or I'm such a great guy or I love you so much or I'm such a great lover that I'm going to be the one that makes the difference, that provides you the freedom, that has this breakthrough, that you're going to experience this pleasure. I often find that men are operating from the past. Meaning I had a past partner that did that and she really liked that or I, you know, something happened here and this is how we work through it rather than actually being present with their partner and finding out what works for her. So one of the keys or what I call uh, the golden tickets to great sex is coming from a contextual place of what's going to have my partner be comfortable. Because if she or he, depending on your preference, feels any kind of pressure or weirdness or, uh, you know, judgment around what's going on, they're going to start shutting down or having their defenses, defenses up. So if someone's looking at like, hey, this is something, you know, maybe there's a hard boundary for a partner, but it's something that you really like or you really enjoy or really turns you on. Like how do you navigate that space? it's not about challenging that or trying to like, I, I love the word permeate that boundary. It's like, okay, what's like, what's underneath that? What's going to have them feel comfortable. And it's, it's not about one of the other things that I find in talking with couples and specifically men is there's like a, a timeline, like they're playing the short game. It's like, how do I get what I want as quickly as possible rather than, Hey, you know, this is something that's there. And I know if I try and put pressure or go this way, she shuts down and it doesn't work. What, what, what is it going to take for her to feel comfortable for her, for us to develop trust, for us to have that, not for the, Hey, because I want to, you know, permeate that boundary, but I just want us to have that ability to talk, to work through things, to have that type of connection Where that fear or that anxiety or whatever is there for her is lessened when we're together.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's that's a really great approach because, you know, in in that instance, it's not about there's not we we sort of let go of the attachment to whether or not that that specific outcome happens, right? Whatever that thing is that that we're aiming at as men, and, and we really focus in on on the on the connection in the relationship at that point. And you know, I think we we also have to honor that. Working through trauma and working through really deep seated mm-hmm. shame happens in incremental steps. It doesn't happen all at mm-hmm. once, right? Like mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. often, oftentimes, you know, if a man hasn't experienced sexual abuse but his partner has, he will he will sort of sometimes take it in his approach. Like I've had a client that was like, "Well, we we talked about it." And, you know, we, we played around in this area and she was able to open up a little bit. And, you know, afterwards she was very emotional, et cetera, et cetera. And, Mm -hmm. but, but she's still not over it. Like I thought that that would be it. And so sometimes Mm. guys, I think that we, we sort of adapt this mindset of like, we should be one and done, right. It's kind of like how we, we we will usually forgive each other as men in that like one and done way. It's like, you said, you're sorry, Mm -hmm. good. Like we've, you know, we've sort of like given our, given each other the hug, pat on the back, like we move forward. And, mm-hmm. and, sometimes, you know, I see a lot of men with their, with their partners, with their wives, with their, you know, boyfriends, husbands, whatever it is, taking that same mentality of like, well, we talked about it, you know, we, we took one step towards it and it should be, it should be good. Um, but these mm-hmm. things do happen over time. And so I love that you're talking about the short game versus the versus, I mean, maybe not game, but, but the, mm-hmm. the short version versus the long version, right? Yeah. Um, let's, let's circle back around to, to the, to the religious shame, because I think, one of the things that I've noticed for a lot of people is even mm-hmm. if they continue practicing the faith that their parents sort of uh, brought into the household that they were raised in, there can be mm-hmm. a lot of, of sexual shame that, that carries forward, whether they've rejected that religion or, or they're carrying it on. Um, mm-hmm. what, what have you seen in your experience with your clients, with yourself? How does that religious shame normally show up? What does it look like? What does it sound like? How does it impact our relationships?
1: Mhm, so, in my experience, it's a lot of internal dialogue that shows up for people so it's it's feeling guilty, it's feeling dirty, it's feeling unclean, it's feeling uh you know like a slut or like a dog or uh you know sometimes it's it's like I'm going to hell like i'm gonna or someone the other thing is this this overwhelming fear that someone's going to find out like you Mm. you're talking to your mom or you're talking to your dad and somehow they're going to like sense that you've done something so a lot of that is this internal conversation where we manifest these these conversations inside our own heads and those feelings of like generalizing like darkness like unworthiness un uh, uncleanliness cleanliness excuse me And those are some of the things that, that show up for people because it's not pure or the right way, or, you know, the way it's decreed by that various religion. And it it can be one of the most challenging things to deal with. And, and, you know, I work with people from all sorts of different faiths and, you know, and uh, very strict or fundamentalist views. And for me, it's around Uh, When I work with people, uh, my positive is what's called a sex positive approach. So accepting people for how they are. I'm not dictating who, how, or how often people should have sex. That's up to them. But inside of what they're committed to, um, sometimes some of those messages that they've received uh, in those formative years and those formative incidences around sex get in the way of them connecting with their partner or partners the way they want to now. So then how can I support them in saying, okay, well, you want to, you know, practice this faith and this is your religion, wonderful. And what are, what ways or what are the avenues that we can explore to have you still honor that, but still have you having that vibrant, healthy, fun, sexual connection with your partner. And so we, you know, write everything down, we go through it, we, you know, these are the ones that actually serve us now the ones that don't, we deconstruct those, we put healthy ones that would serve that person at that time. And then we built from there.
0: Nice. Nice. I love that, man. I love it. And I mean, it's, it's interesting, because I think that a lot of, um, you know, even even a lot of guys have sexual shame based on, based on the environment that they grew up with, based on, you know, what they heard their, their, te- their parents talk about. And uh, one of the things that that, you know, I've talked quite a bit about with with clients and worked through with clients on is is actually like eroticizing their their childhood trauma or childhood wounds, and so oftentimes, mm-hmm. you know, when they're let's just say that they had a very like enmeshed codependent mother who you know was always always sort of around them, and they start to sort of eroticize and, and fantasize about being excessively dominant, excessively controlling, sort of aggressive with women sexually, and mm-hmm. they start watching very aggressive porn. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's interesting because it can be an access point for a a huge amount of healing, not, not necessarily to go down that path, but how have you seen this show up in in the work that you do? How have you seen men specifically sometimes sexualize or fantasize around their, around their wounding around their childhood?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an, it's a a fascinating um, area inside of the work that I do of exactly that of having something that was wrong or bad now be something as a source of pleasure and something that is arousing and something that feels good. And associated with that can be shame of like, why do I feel this way? Or why is this like this? Or why is my partner like this? And I always like to, to share with people, well, listen, we can, we can do a bunch of archeological work and dig through all that stuff. And some of the work that I do, it's necessary to do. But, why don't we create something where it's architecturally driven? So, what are we creating? and how does that work for you right now? And so sometimes it can be a really healthy thing. Now, one of the you know fundamental things in any kind of sexual relationship is consent. So if it is something and accessing some of that, Uh, that dominant, aggressive side. And if we look at healthy power exchange relationships and how they're created, and it's consensually based, and your partner's on board with it, and it turns them on, and it's super awesome for them, and it allows them to release or get in touch with something, it can be a phenomenally powerful, transcendental sexual experience. That's really, really wonderful. Now, on the flip side of that, you have people that haven't done the work, don't know how to communicate, aren't aware of, um, you know, consent and what that actually looks like in a real sense, just puts them out as, well, I'm a man. So of course, I'm dominant. So when then people are starting to navigate kink or power exchange relationships, and they're new to it, they don't know what that is. But the man's like, of course, I'm dominant. Look at me, I got bigger muscles than you, and I am stronger, and I am taller, and their partner, you know, for example, this would be a woman, doesn't have the muscle mass, isn't as tall, doesn't carry the weight, and she's curious about, she's like, well, I'm submissive, and they don't know how to navigate that space together, and then that's when things can turn ugly quickly, because there aren't boundaries, there isn't that conversation, there isn't that commitment to consent, and that's where things can um, you know, get into that area where we're, we're trying to like hear ab- about abuse and crossing boundaries and all that other kind of stuff. So it can be something that's really good and can be an access point to people and something that's very healthy. And sometimes people try and access that and, and use that as a source of expression without, um, you know, having that consent conversation and talking about the safe words, boundaries, aftercare triggers, all that other kind of stuff. And that's where you get into really challenging situations.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I love that perspective. I think it's so important to, to find that balance. And I think it's it's good for people to just, you know, be able to take the context of, do we need someone to support us through this journey, you know, the, of, mm-hmm. of exploration, of healing, of, of communication, right? I mean, you know, if, if two people come together and they both have you know, wounding from the past or, or sexual trauma or something like that, it's going to be so important to have mm-hmm. help to guide, even just to translate, mm-hmm. you know, to just translate mm-hmm. between the two, the, the, the two, the two people. So, um, one of the things that I love that you said though, was about the aftercare. You know, I think that that's mm-hmm. something that people generally don't talk about when it comes to sex. Um, mm-hmm. you know, one of, uh, one of my clients, for example, uh, he, he was talking the other day. He was, he was really pissed off when he got on the call. And, uh, first thing he was like, yeah, we had sex for the first time in four months. And as Mm -hmm. soon as we were done, she rolled over, she got on her phone and she started checking emails. And he was like, and I was so pissed off because Mm. he's like, I felt so disrespected. Like she didn't care. And he's like, but I didn't Mm -hmm. know how to say anything because I'm the guy I'm not supposed to give a shit. And Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the process through that and what he was going to say to her. But, um, tell me why aftercare is so important and how couples can go about building a healthy after sex sort of routine and, and connection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, well, I think if we look at sex, it's it's when we are most naked, right? Like literally and figuratively. It's when we're exposed. It's when we're connecting with uh, a very primal part of ourselves. We're, for a lot of us, exploring and releasing some of those uh those the guilt, the shame, the fear, you know, what's going on in our lives, the stress, and being able to to create something really powerful and really um connected with another human being. And it and it is a it is a sacred space. Regardless of like what it looks like or kinks or you know the mechanics of sex, it is that. It's this really sacred connection between people. And then when that's done, if Someone goes into, oh, you know, checking their phone, checking their emails, or gets up and leaves, or um, you know, just turns and, you know, you get the proverbial cold shoulder, and the other person is still grappling with what just happened and in the the echoes or the repercussions of what just happened and on an emotional, on a physical level, like if there's orgasms involved and like where they're and their partner, how it occurs to them like removes themselves or shuts down or shuts off that can be when you're in that really vulnerable spot that can be really impactful that can hurt that can you know be there they don't love me they don't care they don't respect me all those things can come to like a screeching halt right in your face and you know then you get into conversations with your head and all those stories that run and so that's why it is so important to have that aftercare care practice and with couples to do this. And let's, let's be clear. This can, one of the keys to being a great lover is have aftercare there. And I don't care if it's a one night stand. I don't care if this is your partner for 25 years. This is something that can be powerful because I always like to say that great sex happens the next day. People are like, what do you mean great sex happens the next day? It's the next day when you're walking on the street or going to work or driving the kids to soccer practice that you're thinking back to the sex that you had. And you're like, oh, yeah, that was amazing. I want more of that. That was super hot. i want to text them. Right. But I think a lot of us, and I can speak for myself, has been in that situation where the next day I'm like, uh, that wasn't very good. I shouldn't have done that. You know, I don't I don't feel really good about that. And a lot of that can be, you know, if we go back to the aftercare part is being with your partner. And so how people can create that is like, Hey, listen, like afterwards, what is it? So if it's a couple that's been together for a while, it can be like after sex, what, what do you really enjoy? Like what really works for you? You can ask that question, depending on the power dynamic inside of your relationship, you can start that conversation. You say, you know, one of the things that, that I noticed last time that we got together is, you know, I would really love to cuddle with you afterwards. I would really love to just lie beside you and breathe. I would love to shower with you. I would love to have their present. What would you like and have them share? You know, with this situation, with this this woman who started being on her phone and checking her email, that may be something that she is dealing with for herself. And so she needs to to have a hard stop for herself and immerse herself into the quote unquote real world of emails and work and whatever, because there's something that came up with her in that sexual connection. So just not making her wrong for it. Cause I, I would assert, and again, I don't know these people, but she wasn't trying to be a bitch or disrespectful or anything. That's just for her in that state is like, okay, I need to check in with reality and get really dialed in. And that for her could be part of her aftercare. Mm-hmm. But having that conversation of like, you know, I noticed you went straight to your phone and checked that. Like, I'm just curious, like, what, what was there for you? What what had you do that? And from there, there could be a really fruitful conversation of like, oh, like, I feel really vulnerable when I do that. So my phone is like, reality, it's connected with the world, it's social media, it's it's that kind of stuff. And that's what I, that's what I really need there. Okay, well, I'm glad that that we have that this is something that I would like, or this is something that's important for me. So how do we then create both of those things together? So I'm satisfied, I feel taken care of and respected and safe. And you feel taken care of respected and safe as well.
0: Mm. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Those are those are great steps, I think, for, for people to implement. So let's let's switch gears a little bit, because I think, you know, we've talked about some of the the challenges that can happen, some of the conversations that can happen and, and Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just some of those pieces Uh, you know, this is a, such a big conversation. We could probably just talk for hours and hours (laughs) about sex. Um, But um, you know, you had mentioned some of the pieces of, of what really great sex is and and what makes it. So let's, let's just Mm. talk about that. What are some of the core components of what makes really great sex and maybe what some of the misconceptions are?
1: Mm. Yeah. So uh, My my standard kind of approach to things is what makes great sex? The number one thing that you need for great sex is communication. Mm. So out of all the weird, wonderful, wild things that we can do with our mouths when it comes to sex, talking and communicating is the most powerful. It always is. You know, you, you get a beautiful example of that guy after sex, you know, she turned to her phone and he's like lying there. And I think we've all been there. It's like this huge pink elephant, not even in the room. It's like standing on our chest, being like, "I should like, what do I? I don't know how to say this. Like, I should say this, but then there's this thing as like, no, I'm a man, and I I shouldn't be emotional, and I should be this way, and and there isn't that. So communication is the number one thing. I think a lot of the blocks that come in for men is we have these myths that we've been told, right? So we should always want sex. We always please our partners. We have the biggest penises and you know we we're always like ready and, and you know, we can have orgasms and it always works the way that we want it to work in relationship to our penis. The reality is we're human beings and we are a vastly complex network of emotions and psychological, physical, historical, like all these things that come together that create who we are. And we think we're supposed to be sexual robots. So Connor, my phone rings all the time with guys freaking out because you know their penis doesn't work the way that they want it to. And they think it's like the end of days and their, their partner is like, oh my God. You know, the reality is there, there are going to be times where we don't want to have sex. There are going to be times where our penis doesn't work the way we want our penis to work. There are going to be times where our partner is not going to be satisfied or happy or guess what you're not going to be happy or satisfied with sex listen part of having sex is the experience of having bad sex that just happens but without communication and without that awareness and that 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 freedom for ourselves to express that and share that and be honest with ourselves and be honest with our partners we can get into a really dark place where we shut down shut off and want to leave Either leave sex, so we just avoid sex, or leave the relationship, like we're breaking up or splitting up, or we're stepping outside of that relationship and accessing sex elsewhere where we don't have to deal with the stuff and that guilt, shame, fear, the standards, ideals, norms, and expectations of who we're supposed to be inside of that relationship with our partner.
0: Yeah, I like that because I think you just gave context to some of not only some of the struggles that a lot of guys face. But but also simultaneously some of the some of the challenges of why men step out of the relationship right whether it's mm-hmm. emotionally mentally why they move to mm-hmm. porn why they cheat mm-hmm. um, you know why why they end up leaving and it and it can be very confronting because you know from what I have seen and I think a little bit of what you're describing a lot of our sort of worth as men it sounds like a big chunk of it is connected to our connected to our sexuality and yeah. and our ability to not only have sex, but have sex like, you know, some champion. And, yeah. and, and, you know, I think that porn also doesn't necessarily often help and, and perpetuate that. What's, what are some of the impacts that you've seen pornography have on, on men's sex? And I know that we don't have mm-hmm. a ton of time to maybe d- dive into this, but just some high level pieces.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's one of the things I like to talk about is, listen, when we watch a movie, like we watch a uh, I don't know, like a mission impossible. And we see Tom Cruise scaling a a building with these suction cup things. We're not thinking to ourselves, Hey, we should be able to do that. But when we watch porn, for some reason, we see these sexual athletes that have bodies and enhancements and stamina and body parts. We're like, Oh, we should do that. That's the way we should be having sex. And that can really impact men. And shape in the absence of really healthy conversations and sex education and men being real with what's going on, that's going to be our default sex education. And that's going to be the thing of like, oh, it should look like that. I should be able to perform like that. And that's what my actual partner wants, rather than having that communication, talking with your partner for what's really there to be able to create rather than, oh, this is what he or she wants. And now I actually have to do that. So porn in that way, where it is the default is something that can be really challenging in relationships. But it also there's a flip side, it can be something that can be titillating and rousing, you could watch with your partner, if you're curious about what something looks like, you can get an idea of looking at porn. So it's all how it's used, um, or abused can impact a man and his sexual expression and how he feels about himself. Because I don't know about you, but You know, I'm not a sexual athlete. You know, my body, my penis doesn't look like you know what I see on porn. And you know, my partner, you know, it's what matters to her, not what I think I should be, and then give that to her. It's what works for both of us and what's there to create together.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I like that. I mean, there's so many like good comedy sketches on on this exact topic. You know, of like men. Uh, you know, the, our, and our perceptions, it's, it's really funny. I remember this guy, maybe I shouldn't tell this story, but I remember this one comedian uh, talking about watching porn and then getting all riled up. And uh, a couple of days later, engaging in sex with his wife. And he's, and he's like, you know, talking about how he's going to perform like this, like this guy that he just saw in in porn. And uh, and he just like tells this hilarious story, which I'm not going to get into right now about how it was the exact opposite of that. And I think the challenge is that so many men then have shame around that, around not being able to sort of like perform uh, like Mm -hmm. what they see in in pornography or they or they end up trying to do that. And they're not really present to intimacy with their partner Mm -hmm. and and they end up missing out on, on a very important part of it.
1: Yeah, I find when people are so focused on the mechanics of sex, like what it looks like, they forget what sex is. And sex is a vehicle for connection, for fun, for pleasure, for intimacy, for love. You know, that's what it's about. And we get so caught up in the mechanics of it that if there's something wrong with the mechanics, then we don't, we start avoiding it. We don't go there. It's like having a car. And being like, oh, I don't have power windows. So I'm not going to get in my car and drive to the destination that I want to go. I'm just going to let it sit and just not do anything with it or go drive another car that I don't have to worry about power windows with.
0: I love that. <laughs> I love that you just used an analogy with a car and power windows. Yeah. That, that was fucking great. <laughs> For sure. For um. sure. That was so good, man. That was so good. Well, I know that we're, I know that we're having to wrap up here soon, um, but you know, I would, and maybe we'll just recap at the very end of this about some of the pieces that people can start to implement in, in their, in their, um, uh, in their sexual relationship, whether it's with their, with their partner or with their wife or husband or Mm -hmm. whatever that is. But um, some of the other, just some of the other keys that you have found um, that people can start to implement outside of really healthy, open communication, what are some of the things that people can implement specifically within relationships to have a healthier, more connected sex life?
1: Yeah. Um, so one of the big things is let go of the past. Hmm. So people, when they come to me, they're like, Stephen, we, we used to have great sex or it used to be like this, or it used to be like that. I want to get that back. And I'm like, listen, we're, we're not in a time machine. We don't have a hot tub that we can get into and warp back to wherever we were. Right. So letting go of that and saying, okay, listen, you're a different person than you were five years ago. Your partner's a different person than they were five years ago. So, what you've experienced different things, you've grown, maybe different things, you know, turn you on or turn you off. What are you creating now? Because when people start or in the future, because people are so stuck in the past, there's not, we can't go back there. So, part of that is a contextual, contextual mind shift of like, this is where we are now. How do we build something moving forward? And that can often like, oh, so I can't make my partner wrong because they're not what the way they were five years ago can really start shifting and open things up. I think that um, the opportunity is there for people inside of relationships to forgive each other. And that's easier said than done. But a lot of the work that I, or or part of the work that I do is forgiving. And so uh, an exercise that I have couples do is write a letter, but from your partner's point of view of what's it like to have sex with you. And it has them kind of, you know, switch, you know, shoes. You know, if you're standing in your partner's shoes, what's it like having sex with you? And they got to do that digging and be like, oh yeah. And they've said this, or they shared this, or I get this feeling from them and really starting to own what that is. And from that place, writing that letter can be like, that's the first step of having that awareness to be like, Oh, okay. I can forgive you for being this way because I see how I've been a cause or I have been a source of that. Mm. The next thing that's a, that's a a big shift for people. And and you started uh, kind of alluding it to when we, when we were first talking of when people can take responsibility, when I have people come to me and they're like, it's my partner. It's my partner. Hey Stephen," you know, my partner is doing this or whatever. I'm like, listen, your partner's not here right now. We're not talking with your partner. You are, you know, 50% of this relationship. But if you can start taking on that, you're hundred percent responsible for how the relationship goes, things can start shifting. And people initially are like taken aback. What do you mean hundred percent responsible? Like they're there, they got to this there. And again, it's always that energy is pointing outward. And people can start shifting of like, oh, okay, so what kind of power do I have? How can I start shifting how I'm being? How can I take a step up inside of the relationship? And I use the analogy of steps a lot with people. When you take a step up in your relationship, your partner can't, you know, is standing on a different level that they can't interact with you that level. They're forced to step up. And they're like, oh, Connor's not being a dick anymore. Connor's not doing that. Oh, he was really, oh, that was different. Oh, and then there's an opportunity for them to step up. Well, oh, he stepped up there. I'm going to step up. So rather than getting caught in this, you know, quagmire or swampiness of blaming the other person and making the other person wrong is how can I own this? How can I step up in my relationship and be a leader? And then have my partner meet me there and then keep taking a step up. And then, you know, we start working with people. And then, you know, a couple months later, they're like, oh, my goodness, like we're at a different level. And we started way back there. But it started with that person being like, okay, I'm more committed to the relationship than being right. Mm. And when we can start letting go of being right, because, man, we are so good at being right. Like, I got a PhD in being right. I kick your ass in being right. That's where we come from. When we can let go of that and be like, well, what's the bigger picture? What am I committed to? I'm committed to a really healthy relationship. So that may mean i got to give up the right of being right because I want to have that connection, because I want to have that relationship.
0: Nice. I like it. And I think one of the things that really stood out for me about what you were just saying is this idea of mechanics? And you know, I think oftentimes as men, I, I see a lot of guys fixating on the mechanics, right? That's why the pickup mm-hmm. industry, pickup artists were so successful. It's like, I will teach mm-hmm. you the mechanics of how to mm-hmm. date a woman, date a woman, get her number, blah, blah, blah. And men are like, yes, this is the answer. It's the be all end all. But Mm -hmm. the the problem is, is that the mechanics oftentimes aren't the issue. It's, it's, it's the things outside of the, the, around that. And so I like that you're, you're sort of pulling the curtain back and saying, Hey, listen, if you have really great connection and conversation, if you have good transparency and authenticity, and you're willing to explore, you're willing to be wrong, not right all the time, the mechanics actually start to start to take care of themselves and you start to explore yeah. the mechanics of what your partner wants, right? Yes. Not, not what like, you know, Jane Doe or, or John Doe wanted from six months ago, but what the person in front of you actually wants. And that, yeah. that's a magical thing. That's a beautiful transformational thing.
1: It's, it's, a, it's a huge thing from, you know, with the pickup artists, I work with clients that, that have tried that, but listen, that works for a very finite period of time and it usually doesn't end well. And then they're like, now what do I do? And that ability to realize that, you know, going back to where we started, is like your partner has this wonderful sexual fantasy land that they want to explore too. So it's not just you trying to get what you want or like have your way or do, but like open up a place where you're like, oh my goodness, I'd like to try this. Or this was really hot, but I was never able to do that. Well, why? Well, because I never trusted my partner or I thought I would feel judged no, that's great. Let's try that. And you can open up this new playing field where it's not this combative kind of transactional, like you get this, I get this, but it's like, oh my goodness, like I trust you. You're an amazing person. We have this wonderful connection and communication. What do you want to explore together? And from there, you said it, it's magical what people can create.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that, that's great. I think that's like a, a great place to uh, to sort of end end off with and a great note to end off with. And, you know, I think that you've provided some really, really great tools and context for people that can connect in, in their partnership, whether they've been, you know, married for twenty years or they've just started dating, you know, two months ago and, and they're just sort of figuring the waters out um so that's that's really great so listen man thank you so much for joining me today um where can people find more more about you we'll have the links in the show notes but where can the listeners find more about you
1: uh i'm active on instagram so if you want to follow kind of my interesting life and different thoughts that i have so uh dr dewitt d-r-d-e-w-i-t and then my website drdewit.com, and um you know i have uh, books there i have online programs and I love working with people. It's one of the, the pure joys in life where I get a window into a part of people's lives where they don't share with many people and I get to make a difference because so many people give up, they get resigned, they get angry about it, and it doesn't have to go that way. So, you know, it's my commitment that all people live a sexually empowered life and they have relationships that work. So, you know, that's, that's why I'm here on the planet and I, I love doing what I do.
0: Yeah, awesome man. Awesome. I love it. Well, maybe one day I'll just have like four or five anonymous, you know, like two men, two women completely anonymous on the show and they can just completely open up about, you know, their dysfunction sexually, their challenges sexually and and just sort of like demystify because if there's one thing that I've learned around working with people and and sex, I'm sure I'd be interested to hear your your thoughts on this is that so many people are dealing with the same challenges, the same mm-hmm. And Mm -hmm. it is so Mm -hmm. fascinating to be like, man, if you just talk to some of your buddies, I bet you'd find Mm -hmm. out that he's actually dealing with something very similar, or he might be able to give you Mm -hmm. insight on how he dealt with it Mm -hmm. in his past. So Mm -hmm. yeah, really really incredible. Love the work that you're doing, man. And um, thank you. Thank you you so, so much for joining me. So that for everybody that's out there listening, check the show notes. Uh, You can check out Dr. Stephen DeWitt's uh, website and Instagram profile. And uh, don't forget to man it forward. Uh, Definitely share this with your partner. This is a good episode to listen to. If you're in a relationship, share this with your partner and and kind of go through and and pick out one thing that you might want to do, might want to try, might want to experience with your partner just to deepen the intimacy and the connection that you have with them. And um, until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off. Join me next week for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual.